it's a lot easier to put your faith in one individual than to accept that it's going to take a lot more than that. to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Claire. Well, welcome back, Liberty lovers, Liberty curious, everything in between. This is indeed the Lions of Liberty podcast, and this is episode number 78. Before I get to today's guest, I want to take a second to let you know about Health Excellence Select, an amazing alternative to Obamacare, which utilizes health sharing to cover your medical costs. Your fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not to some massive crony insurance company. To learn more, head to lionsofliberty.com health. My guest today is a libertarian blogger and somewhat of a YouTube star. You may recall a video of hers, which went pretty viral, I think it's fair to say. It's, it's got over 1.4 million views the last time I looked this morning, titled, Why I'm Burning My Last Bridge with Obama, in which she burns her formerly cherished Barack Obama is my homeboy t-shirt. She's also a writer for the anti-media, as well as her own blog, In Rogue. Carrie Wedler, welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm thrilled to have you on, Carrie. And if you don't mind, I just want to start off by reading a little snippet from the About section on your blog real quick, where you state, I used to be a Hollywood bot programmed to enthusiastically worship the mind-numbing matrix of an indulgent consumer society and corrupt, violent government of the liberal persuasion. Somewhere down that rocky government road, my wiring short-circuited, Carrie Wedler went rogue. Carrie, why don't you just tell us how your political views first started to take shape? You mentioned you started out as a liberal, or at least what the word liberal has evolved to mean. I think people like us are the real liberals, but you know, you were a big Obama supporter at one point. So how and when did your political ideas first begin to take shape? Great question. Well, it first started, I was just sort of always drawn to revolution and history. When I think back on it in school, that's always what fascinated me. And I think I sort of took my love for that to mean that I was a liberal because I mean, JFK was a liberal and he hated war and he didn't like racism, you know, according to the history narrative we learn in school. So I just sort of assumed I was liberal. My mom is pretty liberal. Um, my dad trends more libertarian, but he's sort of apolitical. And so I just associated not liking violence with being liberal. And it wasn't until I was out of college, I was interning in a film studio. And I mean, as I said in the video, I just started reading more into the news. I had been rather ignorant. I thought, okay, Obama's president, he's going to handle everything and I can go live my life and go work in Hollywood and there's going to be peace and love and everything's fine. That was not the case. And I just sort of had this juxtaposition of being very um, immersed in a very superficial and materialistic environment. It was actually a really cool film studio and I got to work on some cool stuff. But at the end of the day, you know, it's agents and actors and it's not the most stimulating place to be. And so as I'm sitting in the studio, I'm just reading all these things about Obama and about the Arab Spring. This was back in 2011. And I just went through a phase where I was just very upset and very anxious all the time because, whoa, there's things going on in the world. And it's more than reading a script about, you know, a boy and a girl that fall in love. And so it took me a few months and then I heard about Ron Paul and that was it. So <laughs> it happened pretty quickly. So in a way, kind of working in Hollywood and, and being out here, I, I mean, I live in L.A. as well. Right. That kind of jaded you in a way, I guess, just seeing the sort of narcissism of it all, how irrelevant it was, I guess, to the real world, to the, the real things that are going on in the world. 
Exactly. And the funny thing is, I think the reason I ended up with that perspective was that my boss had that perspective. So it's funny, there are very awake people in the industry. And there's they have this sort of self awareness about how I don't want to say useless, because there are some really meaningful films that trend libertarian. But yeah, it's definitely not where you go if you want to change the world. <laughs> Why don't we go back to when you were an Obama supporter? Why specifically at the time were you so as you say in your video hysterical for Barack Obama? He gave speeches like JFK. He gave the best speeches. Yeah, and he, I was a history major, and he gave these speeches about, there's this one speech that the Black Eyed Peas put to music, and he's like quoting Abraham Lincoln, and he's, you know, talking about all of these historical events. And I thought, oh my gosh, if he can talk like this, he must be a great leader. He must mean everything he's saying. And, you know, it's really easy and it, it's a lot easier to put your faith in one individual than to accept that it's going to take a lot more than that. And, you know, I was 19 years old and I thought, oh my gosh, he's, he's the absolute, absolute picture of progress. You know, he's half black, he's half white. He symbolizes this unity between all human beings. And, you know, he won a Nobel Peace Prize before he was even president. And so I just didn't do my research like most people. And, you know, people are still blaming me that he's president. And I'm like, okay, guys, back <laughs> off. I didn't vote for him in 2012. Like, <laughs> It's all your fault, Carrie. I know, single-handedly. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I mean, that, that's kind of the way we're fed information. It's the way we're fed politicians. They're just, they're kind of crafted to appear in a certain way. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we're fed all the talking points. And, you know, we see the JFK comparisons with Obama. And he is a great speaker. He is a great orator. And look, as someone who even, I, this I think applies even more to me as far as Bill Clinton goes. Because I, I was never, uh, even when I grew up and before I was really political, my, my house was kind of a Republican-ish household. Mm -hmm. So I was inclined not to like Bill Clinton and not to like right. his policies. But man, even to this day, I see Bill Clinton speak and I'm like, I start to get enthralled. I'm like, wow, this guy seems amazing. And I, you just you just got to snap yourself out of it and realize exactly. that they're they're really good at what they're doing. And that's exactly. that's kind of why they're successful politicians. And I think Barack Obama, he might not be as smooth as Bill Clinton, but he's kind of got that same sort of charisma. And uh, if nothing else, you got to compliment the Democrats for choosing uh, effective politicians, even if we uh, are not so, not so happy with what they're effective at. Oh, exactly. And I'm actually I'm working on a video about Hillary Clinton right now. And I have watched hours of this woman's interviews and oh speeches. And God bless I have you. like this weird Stockholm syndrome now because I kind of like her from sitting and listening to her talk. But I'm like, no, there's no way you like her. You know who she is. But it's like, it's really hard to sit. And I mean, they come off as so human. They come off as I mean, clearly everything they've said has been calculated, but that's the problem. They're so good at tapping into exactly what people want to hear. Like, what was she saying? Somebody asked her what her biggest flaw is. And she said it's that she should be more fit. She's so She has so much willpower in every aspect of her life, but she really wishes she could work out. Now, who is she targeting with that statement? Obviously women, right. middle-aged women who look up to her and who are going to be so happy to hear that Hillary Clinton is a human, just like the rest of us, you know? And it's just maddening. But... Yeah, I could rant about her forever. Right, she, she's speaking to the uh, the housewives that maybe they've got a really busy day and they don't get to the gym as much as they want to or what have you. And she's exactly. she's kind of saying, hey, I'm one of you. I'm one of you. Never mind all the things I'm actually advocating by. The yeah, and I'm a mass murderer. Exactly, <laughs> right. Uh, so, you know, when did the things start to change for you specifically in regards to Obama? What were some of the specific things you started to see that he's doing that made you say, well, wait, this is not what I stand for. This is not what I believe in. Totally. It was... 
seeing that he had appointed Goldman Sachs representatives, and I was a few years late. He did that like right out the gate, and I didn't find out until I started looking into it. And that was the first thing because I was just really disgusted by the whole financial system, especially once I got into Ron Paul and started learning, you know, about the Federal Reserve and about the way that money works in this country. And then once I started seeing that, another thing that really bothered me, interestingly enough, was I started writing a book about Hollywood culture, which I've sort of veered away from because I'm so entrenched politically. But seeing Obama hang out with all these celebrities really just completely tarnished the veneer of of uh, presentability that he had to me because I just started realizing how packaged he was. And if he was that well packaged, think of all the other politicians that are so poorly packaged and that are so blatant about how terrible they are. So it just extended to this whole system wide understanding of their faux concerns for the people they're ruling over. But yeah, once I heard about Goldman Sachs, that was pretty much it. And then the drone strikes, obviously, and just seeing that he didn't oh that he didn't end the Iraq war. That was really big for me. That was sort of the the last straw. You know, I had already known everything, but I thought, okay, but he's he's still a Democrat. He still means well. I was still, you know, a left leaning, I guess, libertarian. Um, and seeing that, I just realized no way. And just realizing that both sides had funded it, it just there's no way to justify it. See, but all the Obama supporters I know tell me that Barack Obama did end the Iraq War. So, so what's up with that? How can they have such a, an opposite view of that? I mean, I mean, he didn't. He said he was going to end the war immediately, and then I guess sort of pulled troops out in 2011. But even that was kind of um, against his will. It was part of a, an yeah. agreement that George Bush actually made, and they were actually fighting to keep troops there even longer. And but somehow, you know, the, the talking point still comes out that Barack Obama did yay yay end the Iraq War. Oh, yeah. You're like not allowed to say that he continued the war. It's like taboo with liberals. And then the crazy thing is with people on the right, it's like he's not imperialistic enough. He hasn't waged enough war. It's not that he's killed too many people. It's that he hasn't killed enough. So it's just it's really nice to not be on either side, but it's also extremely terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. It is. Um, now, you mentioned Ron Paul, you know, finding out about Ron Paul and the rest was kind of history. And that, that's what a lot of people end up saying. Yeah. But uh, and I know I certainly know what you mean when you say that, because the rest is kind of history with me, too. But what was it about Ron Paul specifically that that really captured you and really set the things he was saying apart from what you were hearing from other politicians, from the Barack Obamas, the Hillary's of the world? He was talking about things that no other politician will ever discuss. For me, it was. It's actually kind of personal. He mentioned the coup in Iran in 1953 with the CIA and the Shah. And that, when I was in public school in high school, that was the first thing I ever read in a history book that made me go, wait, the government's not all good and it's not everything it claims to be. And it sort of stuck with me just for years. And then when I heard Ron Paul mention it, I went, what? (laughs) Barack Obama never talked about this. Nobody ever talks about all of these shady things the government does. And Ron Paul just had no fear in doing that. And, you know, there's this meme um, after he retired from Congress. It's like called Congress a bunch of sociopathic liars to their faces, you know, and he did. And I so admire him for that because he really he never let anyone cower him into submission or into going with the status quo. Yeah, that was, I think, his famous sort of last speech, his final farewell mm-hmm. to Congress, where he basically, oh, uh, yeah, just called them all psychopaths. <laughs> but did it in that Ron Paul way, where he, exactly. he does it with that sort of fire and that, that truth spitting, where even if you don't agree with him on every little thing, which I don't, not most things, mm-hmm. a few things I don't, but even when I disagree, I at least know that I, I feel like I'm getting a genuine viewpoint from him. I'm, I'm getting what he really believes. I'm not getting a, a packaged, you know, answer that, that he sat around thinking about with, you know, 15 of his advisors 
advisors to, to put out <laughs> the perfect response based on what all the polls were saying or, or what have you that we usually get from politicians. Now, how have your political views evolved since then? I mean, obviously, it's not an overnight transformation. So, I mean, what are some of the biggest differences you see in yourself today in 2015 from the, you know, Barack Obama supporting Kerry Wedler in 2008? Um, it, I've become a radical. I'm going to use the A word. I am an anarchist. So I am not bound by the fetters of the state any longer. And it took me a while, maybe like a year. Yeah, it was a year from the summer that I got into Ron Paul to the following summer. And it was a parking ticket. Of all the things, it was a parking ticket that just set me off. And I went, no way. The government is in an inherently exploitative, violent force. And there's no reason I should support it in any way. So I've really switched things up. Um, and every once in a while, I kind of go, wait, Carrie, are you sure you're an anarchist? Are you sure that you really believe this? I mean, that's scary. It's crazy. And then I go, no, what's crazy is having a government that's able to violate everyone's rights just by the fact that it exists. So that's where I am now. <laughs> now, now, some people might scoff at the idea that it was a, par- a parking ticket that put you over the edge. But I live in L.A. too, and I can tell you these parking tickets are nasty. They're insane. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's absolutely in, it's ridiculous sometimes, especially if you're up in Hollywood or somewhere. It's mm-hmm. th- Sometimes you'll see signs with, like, 15 different sets of rules with, like, different hours that you can park in. I mean, sometimes it's just impossible to even figure out when and where you can park. And then when you get hit with a mm-hmm. fine, they start you off at, like, 65 bucks. Oh, yeah, and there's no mercy. No, absolutely not. As they're pulling up to take you or to give you the ticket, they will take a picture of your license plate so you can't get away. Now, and, and I think in a in a, a you know quote unquote free society, whatever we might envision that as, there might be a role for enforcing parking in terms of private property. Who owns the roads? Obviously, we can't have parking everywhere, but it's very clear here in Los Angeles that parking is nothing more than a revenue generator. It's nothing more than a way to make things as complicated and difficult as possible in order to um, sort of extract more money from the population here. Exactly. And I don't want to trivialize, you know, how I became an anarchist because there's obviously a lot more to it. But for me, that was just the situation where I noticed this pattern of government and it can be applied to anything else where the taxpayer is funding their own oppression. You know, whether it's war or whether it's buying or whether it's the NDAA or there's so many different things. It's just that that was the first one because I was so mad. I was so angry, you know, that it personally affected me. Like, I don't have to watch kids die in Pakistan. I do have to pay $100 for parking two inches into a red zone, you know, and it sounds like a totally warped value. But that having to actually experience it really um, that was just I remember I was in Hollywood. I remember exactly where I was. And I just went, no, I'm done. No, of course you're in Hollywood. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Let's talk about the anarchist label a little bit more, you know, because okay. a lot a lot of people hear anarchists and, you know, and, and I think people have different meanings when they use the term anarchist. It's not the term I use because I think it's associated with a lot of negative things, maybe for good reason in some cases, maybe for bad reasons in others. But I think I probably share the same exact views as yeah. you do, or maybe we'll find out. So what what exactly do you mean when you say you're an anarchist? So it's the idea, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, that using force is wrong, right? It's wrong to aggress against anyone. And so anyone, whether an organization, an individual, a government that uses that kind of force to exploit people or to take something from someone or to hurt them is acting unethically. So in a free society, quote unquote, we want to live in a place where people aren't aggressing against others. And if they are, you have the right to defend yourself, but that it's not okay, that it's taboo to take from other people, to steal, to hurt. And 
the idea is that we would want to live in a peaceful society. And it sounds pretty out there. I wouldn't call myself an anarchist to my YouTube channel or to, you know, the neocons that follow me because, you know, they'll run screaming and shoot arrows at me as they go. But <laughs> you just conjured an image of like John McCain, like hastily <laughs> grabbing his like arrows and trying to fire them at you. So pardon me if I giggle for a moment. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm <laughs> glad. Um, it is, I get so much hate from, from the right um, and the left. So I'm doing something right. But the reason it really resonates with me is that as I look at human history, the way that people have evolved is that the more free they are, the more peaceful they are. Like look to a thousand years ago when there were kings and churches ruling the world. It was so violent. People were interacting violently on a daily basis. And the more government scales back, the more peaceful interaction there is. And I mean, there are studies to show this, that the use of force has been dropping for hundreds of years. And so for me, the natural progression is to evolve past democracy. Democracy was a great progression for monarchy, but I don't want to be stuck here for the rest of humanity. You know, there's always a better way. And that better way tends to go towards more freedom. Sure. And I think the important thing, at least for me, is to focus on that principle that you talked about, mm -hmm. the idea that we shouldn't aggress against other people. Now, for me, I'm not against the idea of government or what the concept should mean. Whereas, you know, say we have a property owner and he wants to govern the rules on his own property. I have no problem with that. And if 50 property owners all live together and want to form a community with, with rules, that's fine, too. So to me, that mm -hmm. is the concept of government, even though it's, it's not in any way what people use government as now. And it's, mm -hmm. it's certainly to, in our modern context, government is an aggressive, you know, aggressive use of force. So, so I don't, that's why I don't use that term, because mm -hmm. I, I think it comes with things where a lot of people hear anarchism and they just hear, well, no government. We can't have government, no rules, no law, etc. And I want rules. I want law. And I want, I want the government to abide by it as well. That's, that's the, big, the big difference, I think, not between us, but between right. the, way, the way other people view government. They think it's, you know, and maybe a lot of people don't really view it in that even deep of a way. They just say, well, government exists. This is what it is. And whatever laws it passes are the laws. And, and that's, that's as far as they ever analyze it. I think the difference is that you mentioned, you know, a private property owner can make his own rules and that's totally fine because it's voluntary. So if right. you want to come onto his property, you abide by his rules. And I think the problem is that people have been convinced by the idea of the social contract that government is voluntary. You know, they'll tell you that they're ta that they pay taxes voluntarily as they tell you that they hate paying them and they don't want to. Right. You know, so it's it's this very strange cognitive dissonance that I think really discourages the idea of anarchy, not to mention the fact that it's a totally demonized word. So I don't really like to use it, but it's you're cool. So I'll, I'll say it with you. <laughs> well, thank you. And, uh, you know, it's funny. I have a good friend of mine that um, he kind of makes those arguments. Well, you know, we, we pay taxes by being here and we and he always tells me how he votes for the tax increases and the local ordinances and all that stuff and you know we always have these conversations but um my tax guy is the guy he recommended to me and he recommended to me because he's really awesome at lowering our tax rate right. so it is like a strange cognitive dis mm -hmm. dissonance where you say it's voluntary and yet you go out of your way to uh, hire a guy that's gonna find a way to get you to pay as little of that voluntary money i guess as possible so exactly. you know, it, it's really easy to say it's voluntary when you want everyone else to pay it but mm -hmm. it seems like everybody when it comes even including politicians i mean how many politicians do we see that are convicted of tax evasion exactly and, and and they're the ones writing the tax code and, and writing the laws and all that stuff. So there is a large level. I think cognitive dissonance is, is the proper term there. Now, Carrie, what prompted you to, you know, you, you had this revelation. You rejected the left-right paradigm. Thank God. We're glad to have you have you out of there, out of the matrix. Thanks. I forget which pill you take. Is it the red one or the green one that wakes you up? Whichever one it is, you took that. 
So what prompted you to take these ideas and just say, all right, I'm not just going to sit around being mad about parking tickets. I'm going to actually take these ideas out there to the world and uh, sort of go public and start this YouTube channel. So, you know, why don't you, I guess, first start telling us about your viral video that we mentioned at the top of the show where you burned your Obama T-shirt. So why don't you tell us how that video came about? That video came about, um, the creative process is very tricky. I love it and hate it. My best video ideas just come to me. I cannot hammer them out. I cannot just plan them. I have to just wait until I think of something. So I wish I knew a better way. If anybody knows, I'd love to know. But all of my best ideas, all of my most viral videos have come from just sitting around on a couch working on something else. Uh, So that's how it happened. I just thought, you know, it's funny, my friend, I, I don't think I've ever said this publicly, my friend, big stoner, California, you know, n- not just a stoner into cannabis no, out here. and his alternative lifestyle and medicine. Um, and he has a blowtorch because he does dabs. And I was looking at the blowtorch and I was writing a different video and I went, wait, there's something to this. And I knew that I had my old shirt and I've been wanting to make an Obama video anyway. And I had tried planning some, you know, I had written out scripts and I went, no, I don't like this. This isn't good enough. You know, if I'm going to make an Obama video, it has to be good. I took the blowtorch and I decided I was going to do it and I did it. And I was thinking, it's funny. I was thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to get 20,000 views on it. Oh my God, best video. <laughs> this is going to be huge. And right. I, yeah, exactly. And it just started going from there. And it's funny because there are a lot of neocons who watched that video and they got very excited in the first, I don't know, three minutes. They missed the fact that I said that I didn't like Obama because he waged war. So it's funny, I have this residual fallout from followers who found me through that. And then I'll post things on my Facebook page and they're just infuriated that I've disrespected the troops and that I don't respect all they've done for me. And, you know, I respect human beings and that's fine. But it's just interesting that so many people watched it and it's frustrating. So many people watch it and they just miss the entire point, you know, and there are plenty of people who watched it and they got it and they understood. And a lot of them who could tell outright from the video that I'm a libertarian. So, you know, extra kudos and points to them. Any libertarian who saw it knew. But I got a lot of people from other backgrounds, which is honestly really cool. You know, there are a lot of people who are probably libertarian and just don't know it yet. I think that's the majority of people, people who are just frustrated with the system and they're apolitical and they just want to be left alone. And so I got a very broad range of viewers from it, which I was really appreciative of. And that sort of launched me into getting more heavily into video editing. So... I actually started out with Ron, just to backtrack really quick. When I first started making videos, I was making them just for Ron Paul campaign videos in 2011 and 2012. And then he lost. So I dipped off the radar and I was working on other things. And then following a federal raid I was involved in, that's when I really went full throttle and I went, screw this. I'm not shutting up. I'm going for it. And a few months later, I made the Obama video six or seven months later. So that's how I got to where I am. (laughs) Cool. Yeah. And I like that in that video. I mean, I don't even know if I've ever seen in your video, you say you're a libertarian. I don't. In that video, you don't. And and that's great because you don't, you don't really need to always say, oh, I'm a libertarian, believe everything in the world. You can just exactly. explain what you believe, explain what your issues are. And then, you know, people will come to that beliefs. And I, same thing with the anarchist thing in a way. I mean, mm-hmm. all of our political labels, every single one of them for bad or good comes with all this baggage. I mean, even the term libertarian comes with all this baggage mm-hmm. that, that might not be justified or, and it might be in some cases, but you know, when people will like have this idea in their head ahead of time and you put that label out there first, you know, it, it makes it things more difficult. I think in some ways, because now you can't just tell them what 
you believe you have to you have to battle all these straw men that they've already exactly. built up in their brains about what libertarians are oh you hate all government you want just every murderers to run all over the place and kill and rob everybody and and you want society to fall apart I'm like whoa 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 chill 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 uh, we were just having a conversation about like the war or something I, I know so, it's really funny how you know you said you got all these like kind of hardcore neocon republican followers because all they saw was girl hates obama yes we got her she's she's yeah. a republican now fantastic and it's almost exactly. like you're missing the point guys you're missing the reasons why and those reasons apply to every damn republican president that you guys will toss out there too that's the thing that because one of the criticisms i got was you shouldn't be laughing about it it's your fault that he's in power and it's like well, did you think that john mccain or mitt romney was going to do something different for you did you think that you were just going to be living in freedom when they were in office so it's you know you're not going to win either way but the problem is that people think they will now carrie i've got just a couple more questions for you but first i gotta take a minute to give a little love to our sponsor health excellence select now, until last year, I was just like you guys. I saw my health insurance cost double and my deductible skyrocket thanks to the Obamacare health insurance mandates. Determined not to participate in this corporatist scheme, I sought an alternative and found out about health sharing, a fantastic concept in which your monthly fees go directly to pay the medical bills of others, not into the pockets of some crony capitalist fat cat. Health Excellence Select combines health sharing with a patient care personal assistant, 24-7 phone access to board-certified physicians, and discounts on dental, vision, and other benefits. The best part is that for most people, plans with Health Excellence Select are much more affordable than Obamacare insurance, and it meets the legal mandate, so you will not be fined for using it in lieu of insurance. For more information, head on over to lionsofliberty.com health. Now, Carrie, coming from your perspective of someone who used to be a liberal or progressive or what have you, you know, what do you think mm -hmm. some of the most common mistakes libertarians make when they're attempting to communicate their ideas to other people, particularly with progressives? And I think I've actually made in the last year or so much more progress with progressives because I think we actually have so much in common with what they're supposed to believe on the surface that when you actually can get into a good conversation with them, you can actually make some headway. Whereas a lot of the the far right on the social stuff, like you hit a wall with them and you can't get any further. So <laughs> what do you see as some of the, I guess, more, more maybe other common mistakes or just tips you would have to people to kind of communicate these ideas? I think that the biggest problem is obviously libertarians are against social welfare, which I am as well. But I think in conveying that, um, it really turns progressives and liberals off because as much as it's false compassion by acting through the state, they are, at the end of the day, they are compassionate. They just have a misunderstanding of how they can help the people that are most disadvantaged. So I think a good angle to take with that is to explain to them or to show them or to remind them, because a lot of them know, of all of the ways that the poor and minorities are disadvantaged because of the state and how historically it that's, it's always been that way. You know, they have this misconception that there were poor people and then the government came and it made it all better. But at the end of the day, there have always been poor people, there have always been governments, and governments have always imposed policies that keep those people disadvantaged. And I think being able to articulate how the government keeps these people dependent while oppressing them really sets something off for people because they have all of these ideas that, well, there's a half black guy in office, and so he's going to help all the poor people and all the black people. And then you remind them, well, no, he kept all of the federal raids of marijuana dispensaries going. And it's not just the dispensaries, it's individuals. It's people arrested for nonviolent crimes, which is disproportionately black communities, poor communities. And if you can go back all through the history of it and show that even in the 60s, when LBJ was 
allegedly trying to help these people, the machinery of the system was still horribly oppressing them. And the stories they've learned in their history books aren't true. And if you can just give them some facts, you know, that'll push them in the right direction. They're not going to turn into libertarians overnight. I've had a lot of frustrations under that false premise that if I just tell them this, you know, they'll understand. But I think that's a really good starting point because they're liberal because they think the government can help people. And we know otherwise. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. And I, I like to I kind of veer away from talk about uh, ending government welfare, ending unemployment, even minimum wage, which I'm completely opposed to in principle. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really make those talking points because to me, uh, the, the call for that stuff is a symptom of a larger problem. And the symptom mm-hmm. is really the crony capitalist structure, the fascist structure of our economy, where we have government in bed with corporations and they create this system where it's it's nearly impossible to make your own way without basically begging for a job from a major corporation. And we have patent laws. We have so many regulations that restrict people from starting their own businesses. And so, I mean, yeah, I'm against welfare in theory. I'm against all these things, but it's not something I'm going to bother attacking because I, I mean, I think it's wrong actually if you just remove the welfare, but you don't address the corporate structure that keeps people needing welfare in the first place. So and, and when, that's what I always try to kind of communicate with people. I'll talk about like, sure, I'm, I'm against welfare in principle, but I don't want to end it. And here's why. And, you know, yeah, well, it's, it's on my list somewhere, but it's at the uh-huh. way, way, way bottom of this list. Where we've completely ended cronyism. We've completely ended the war on drugs. We've mm-hmm. completely ended every other terrible thing going on. Okay, you know, then we can stop that last tiny bit of theft where that actually is, you know, potentially helping some people out. I mean, I know people that have been helped out by welfare. I mean, there's there's no doubt it does help certain people out, even though it is completely abused. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I'm against the taking of the money. I'm against how everything we have is funded because it's all done coercively. But I think um, sort of de-emphasizing that and focusing more on the bigger picture. I always like to use the term corporatism or cronyism because uh, that the lefties love that stuff. You know, they, they, any, oh, any kind totally. of hatred you can give towards corporations, well, they're all in and now they'll start listening and, and then you can kind of show them it's not... It's not the existence of a corporation per se that's terrible. It's it's mm-hmm. when a corporation wants to use that force, that force of government, to create a system which is more beneficial to itself and not to the actual, you know, the actual citizens. Oh, exactly. I'm in complete agreement with you. I think that that's obviously the most important jumping off point. And I think it's really important too, just to emphasize, you know, people. The left is really big on regulations. And it's this idea of like, well, what did the banking regulations do in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, whatever? They were trying to make up for all the damage caused by the Federal Reserve, you know, by the banking system that was implemented. And what are regulators doing now? They're in bed with the banks. And what's a $950 billion fine going to do to someone, to some bank when they can make trillions? You know, that's just chump change to them. It's just their contribution for keeping the state in its favor. And I think that it's really easy to forget that because government sells it so well that they're trying to keep the bad guys and the corporate banksters out of the government. But that's just never going to happen. It's not the nature of government. Carrie, I'm wondering what advice you might have for anybody out there that might be listening to our conversation here. Maybe they're maybe they're hardcore libertarians already, or maybe they're just people that are learning about these ideas for the first time, and they're they're thinking, hey, maybe these maybe these crazy kids have some points here. So, what <laughs> advice would you give to the two people that are just kind of getting interested in this stuff if they also want to kind of go out there and and start a blog or start a YouTube channel, but they're just kind of hesitating to make that leap? Do you have any advice for people like that? I do. I would say, one, do it. Just do it. Don't think. Do it. Well, think a little. You know, you want to be presentable and intelligent, but don't second guess yourself and stand up for what you believe in. And I think most importantly is don't get discouraged because there are some days, as I'm sure you know, Mark, that I just 
give up. There's no point. Why am I doing this? The world is doomed. And those are tough days. But I think looking more long term, things are trying to freedom is coming. That's just what's going to happen. No empire has ever lasted. No oppressive reign is ever tolerated forever because people want to be free. There's a reason why it's such a value around the world because people don't like being caged. They don't like being enslaved. They don't like not being told what to do, you know? So at the end of the day, as bad as it is right now, I would just really urge you to have faith that it's not going to be that way forever. And it's already happening. Like Ron Paul says, you know, the little the little meme or the gif, it's happening. It is. It, it really is. And the fact that there are people who are waking up every single day, I hate using that term. It's a little cliche, but for lack of a better term, you know, it's true. That's what's happening. And it may be slow, but in the course of human history, it's pretty fast. So be excited. Be ready for it. It's, it's coming. And it's tough. And it's not always fun, but it's always worth it. Well, that's fantastic advice, and you're right that I do know well about that. Because I mean, if if I if we waited till we had the perfect looking website to finally put our ideas out there, or I had the perfectly produced podcast to finally launch it, I would still be sitting here with none of these things launched because you mm-hmm. know it's never perfect and nothing's exactly. ever right. And sometimes you can get. I've definitely gone through periods where I'm very frustrated, where I'm like, oh, are enough people listening to this or are enough people viewing this this mm-hmm. article I wrote? Mm-hmm. And you just got to take a step back and take a deep breath sometimes. And it's just the little things that really inspire me because sometimes I'll get an email from somebody and they just say, hey, you know, I just wanted to let you know I really like what you're doing. Keep up the good work, yada, yada, yada. And that, exactly. and that one email is a hundred times, you know, more effective, a thousand times more effective than, than seeing, you know, thousands of, of downloads or thousands mm-hmm. of hits on a, on a post because that's how I know I'm actually connecting with someone. Anyone can click on an article. Anyone can download a podcast. I don't know if they're actually listening to it, if they're actually reading it, if they're actually absorbing the information. So when I get an actual human being that actually tells me, Hey, you made a difference. You're, this is actually effective. That's when I get so inspired to just keep going. And, and I think everybody out there should do the same thing. If you're passionate in any way about this, find a way to communicate with other people. I mean, that, mm-hmm. that's what we have to do. Cause if we keep this stuff to ourselves, then we're just going to be, you know, home angry about our parking tickets or whatever, exactly. whatever terrible thing uh, happens to us. Uh, Carrie, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Before I let you go, why don't you just give us, uh, I don't know, maybe a preview of anything you've got coming up, anything you're working on in terms of articles or videos. And of course, uh, give everyone the full roundup of the ways in which they can find your blog, your YouTube channel, and anything else you want to plug. Great. Well, I'm working on a huge project right now, and I'm basically going into the lion's den of the right-wing neocon warmongers, and I'm really excited about it. It's pretty mainstream, so I'm sort of tailoring my message to be a little less extreme, but still getting all of the main values and the points across, not compromising on anything, which is awesome. So that's going to be through the next six, seven months. And it's also going on my YouTube channel. I have new videos coming out there as well. I'm writing for the antimedia.org. I also teach yoga. So if you're in LA, I teach private sessions. I teach group sessions. I'm teaching in Santa Monica as well. And you can find me on YouTube if you just type my name, Carrie Wedler. It's C-A-R-E-Y-W-E-D-L-E-R. And you can find me on Facebook that way as well. Carrie Wedler, thanks so much again for coming on the show and keep up the great work. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Awesome. Take care, Carrie. Bye. We'll be back after a little break. Hey guys, Mark Clare here, lionsofliberty.com, where we strive to advance the ideas of liberty daily. 
we bring you the morning roar. That's right. Every Monday to Friday, we'll have a brand new edition of the Morning Roar, where we provide a roundup of some news stories that you may not find in the mainstream media or even in your typical social media news feed. We find stories that relate to the ideas of liberty and provide you with our liberty perspective on them. We wrap it all up every Friday with Felony Friday, where our own John Odermatt goes out and takes a look at some sort of felony. There's felonies committed every day, you know, whether it's a felony committed by the police, a politician, or even an average citizen. You can find all of this and so much more over at LionsofLiberty.com, advancing the ideas of liberty daily. This is Glenn Jacobs, and you're listening to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Glare. All right, folks, I hope you enjoyed my interview with Carrie Wedler. And, you know, what a great girl she is. What an intelligent girl she is. It was really a great time talking to her. And, you know, I think the pre-libertarian, pre-Ron Paul Carrie Wedler is in many ways a good example of the type of person that typically follows politics but might not have that real philosophical view about it. You know, she said she used to really like Obama. She loved his speeches. She loved, you know, the Black Eyed Peas making hip-hop videos to his speeches and, uh, you know, quoting JFK, all this stuff. But at the end of the day, she didn't really realize what he actually stood for and didn't really think about it on a deeper level. And, And this is so common in politics. Politicians are so adept here in the United States at crafting their message in a specific way to generate a certain response in their audience. And these guys know who they're going after. They know the kind of people they have to get to vote for them. And they craft their message to do that, not necessarily to speak the truth, not necessarily to convey their philosophy of politics, which is what we should be discussing when we're having political debates. No, it's with one goal in mind, and that is to get elected. Now, I think in a certain way, that's why Ron Paul stood out as so differently, why so many were attracted to Ron Paul, because it it never seemed like he was trying to do that. He was just trying to say what he believed and put that message out there, and and that's what he used politics for as a platform to express his views. I mean, he didn't really get any bills passed, although his audit the Fed did sort of go through in a a partial way, and it's being pushed now, so there's a lot of the sort of uh, residue from Ron Paul's presence that is still out there. And, of course, the ideas are resonating in so many ways. Uh, You know, the fact that I have this podcast is a testament to Ron Paul and, you know, his advocacy of the ideas of individual liberty. And it's what really got the spark going for me. And as I said, even when I don't agree with the guy, at least I always got the sense that I was getting his actual beliefs, his actual opinion, not some prepackaged answer. And I think that's why Rand Paul is in many ways controversial with many people, because a lot of people think he's sort of playing that political game a little bit. He's thinking about the poll numbers. He's thinking about what can I do and say to become president. Now, that doesn't mean he's a bad guy, necessarily. I happen to like Rand a lot, even though I criticize him a lot, even though we criticize him a lot on our website. We also praise him a lot on our website. We do both, actually. Brian McWilliams, our great contributor, he does both every single week with our Rand, Paul Lusses, and Minus column. So please go ahead and check that out every single Monday at lionsofliberty.com. You see how I got the synergy? I got to plug everything here, even if it's in a really obscure way. Um... But, you know, I, I want to touch on one thing one second that we briefly touched on, and that, that's the anarchist thing and how Carrie identifies herself in, as an anarchist, and that's all well and good. And, you know, a lot of my guests, I'd say maybe even a majority of my guests, will often identify as anarchists, and I usually don't get into it too deeply with them. You know, I, I, it's not the label I use. But I don't want to have a 20-minute debate over anarchy with every single guest I have on. We're coming on to talk about certain things. But I do want to briefly touch on it because I don't use the label anarchy, but I actually think that that 
that concept of anarchy is actually dangerous when it's pushed forward as the overriding concept of individual liberty. That doesn't mean I think we need coercive governments. I'm not a minarchist. I don't believe that at all. I think we need to end coercion in our society in every way, shape, and form. But anarchism basically means no government. And guys, I'm not against government. I'm not. <laughs> I'm against the, the way government has shaped itself in our society, and that is a reflection of the poor beliefs of most individuals in our society. Now, the fact that people don't think about individual rights when they're voting for politicians, they think about, oh, what did this person say that I liked? What did this person promise me they could do if they're elected? What did they promise to give me? What kind of goodies am I going to get? I'm totally against that stuff. But that doesn't mean the concept of government is incorrect. It doesn't mean people don't have the right to join together and form organizations to create a body of law, to create rules for their private property. In fact, I think this concept is extremely important in a civilized society. Now, I think a lot of our anarchists are principal people. And that's why I have them on the show. You know, I think they see the wrongs in society and they have labeled themselves anarchists as a sort of a rejection against that. But we can't just live our lives and have a political belief where we're just rejecting things. We need to put forward a positive vision. And to me, anarchy doesn't really do that. It just presents sort of a, a vision of what we don't want. For some people, that vision is no governments at all. No organizations except for you know private contracted companies. And there may be many good arguments for that. I discussed it with Bob Murphy back in episode number 35. Go check that out, lionsofliberty.com slash podcast for the full archive. I also did a podcast with Shane Whistler on his essay entitled Against Anarchism. You can find that back in episode 43. And I, I happen to agree with a lot of Shane's views on why that concept of anarchism isn't necessarily what we should be putting forward. And I don't, I, I don't want to do a whole other podcast about it right now. I already did it. You can go back and listen to it. Lionsofliberty.com slash podcast. But the reason I bring this up, it's that synergy again, folks, is because my next guest this coming Thursday is going to be a guy I've, I've been looking forward to talking to for a long time. He's a guy who does put forward that concept of anarchy. We're going to discuss why that is this week, and that is Lou Rockwell, a guy who almost all of my guests have mentioned as an overriding influence in the shaping of their views. Almost every one of my guests seems to mention his website as a, an influence upon them at some point, lourockwell.com. So I do look forward to having Lou Rockwell on the show this coming Thursday to discuss that concept of anarchy, of anarcho-capitalism more specifically, as, as he puts forward. So I'm really looking forward to that interview. And guys, if you're in any way associated with the Liberty Movement, you've heard of Lou Rockwell. You know who this guy is. I'm going to speak with him this coming Thursday. And I'm pretty excited about it. I hope you are, too. I hope to see you back here at LionsofLiberty.com or on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio or over at LibertyTalk.fm this weekend or over at LRN.fm throughout the week. There are so many ways you can find and listen to the Lions of Liberty podcast. There's really just no excuse not to, unless you hate the sound of my voice, unless you hate the ideas of liberty, in which case, I don't know what to tell you. Until this Thursday when I will be speaking with Lou Rockwell... Folks, all I'm going to ask is that you live long and live free.